This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and today I have a, a special guest. We're going to talk about lots of really cool things uh, in the waterfowl world, the food world. Just, it's going to be a great episode. I'm really excited. So, uh, but first, let me go over some quick updates, uh, kind of news since our last show. So, uh, updates for me, uh, I guess we're. Man, it doesn't seem like it's already here, but uh, Colorado is about to close out their uh, spring turkey drawings. So trying to get, I was just looking at the website, trying to get things finalized for spring turkey. Uh, the big news this year is my daughter did Hunter's Ed in the fall. So she's uh, she's now able to put in for turkey tags. So we're going to get her into the drawing as well. And then um, I think the other big news for us is that uh, we're headed up to the BHA Rendezvous in March up in Missoula. Uh, looking to have a booth up there and maybe wild food panel and some cooking demos and, and some things like that. I, I decided to take the year off from uh, cooking the big game or the big dinner, wild food dinner and things like that. So uh, just want to hang out with everybody a little more, I think, and uh, just kind of have a little a little time to, to chill, which is good. So uh, – Let's see. Other than that, um, our wild pig camp scheduled in May down in Texas. Uh, both camps are out, released. Uh, we've got a couple of folks already signed up for our first camp in May. Then uh, also we've got December on the books. I know it's way far out, but we're anticipating it to, to fill up quick. So if you've got an interest in learning to shoot, hunt, butcher, cook wild pigs, then that's the camp for you all in one fun filled three day weekend. And then uh, just recently, all of our spice blends are back in stock. 
with the exception of our big game blend, which quickly sold out. So uh, they're all up on the website. We've got tons of small game and tons of waterfowl, which are both phenomenal on those respective items. And then also on uh, whatever. I put the, the waterfowl on my wild pork and on my elk and deer. It's all pretty phenomenal. But uh, yeah, that's big news for me. Uh, not, not really a whole lot to unpack there, but still some fun stuff going on in the, in the world. Uh, also it's frigid in Denver. It's like, uh, it was, I think negative two yesterday, uh, which is pretty insane. And, uh, I tried to get out to do some goose hunting on, uh, Saturday, uh, cold temperatures, lots of fog and, uh, snow. Uh, it's like a misty snow. I've never seen it like that before. And it, uh, presented some unique challenges that none of the geese were moving. So I didn't last too long out there before I called it quits, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, let me, uh, let me introduce our guest here. So our guest today is a hunter, angler, guide, cook, and outdoor writer. In 2017, he bought a boarded up church and turned it into a duck lodge, but this isn't your ordinary lodge. It's much more. Today, seasoned waterfowlers, working professionals new to hunting, adult onset hunters, and many others find their way through the doors of the Black Duck Revival. Their hunting experiences aren't about guarded spots, bragging rights, or limiting out on game. They're about giving everyone a taste of the hunt. Uh, Jonathan Wilkins, welcome to the Wild Fishing Game Podcast. Hey, bud. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, glad we could finally connect, and thanks for making time with uh, with all the family changes going on. So really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, as I was chatting with Jonathan about, is uh, I, w- I was trying to track him down at Rendezvous last year so we could chat, and I actually remember like looking across the the whole area there and seeing you presenting and i was like i gotta go over there and then somebody's like hey we need you to come over here and do this and i was like oh okay great so uh but no here we are uh i guess are you going to rendezvous this year not this year man i've got i've got to be or got to be i get to be uh down on a turkey hunt in south texas oh cool so yeah that's awesome it was like a i had talked to hank uh, mm-hmm. he was doing some cooking. We were talking about, I was seeing if maybe I'd come up for a day, but it just doesn't work out, you know? Oh man. Uh, what kind of, uh, turkeys you getting into down there in Texas? Uh, are Rios? yeah, those would be Rios there. Uh, man, possibly Easterns too. And then there's always that fuzzy line where they, you know, birds will, uh, do a little hybrid dance, but I, I think primarily Rios. Yeah. That's awesome though. No, it'll be good. Uh, March in South Texas sounds better than March in or uh, August in in South Texas. So that that sounds good. Maybe even March in Missoula. I don't know how cold it's going to be, but uh, last year it got pretty chilly unexpectedly, and we yeah, that wind later was blowing, man. That wind cooled. Yeah, down. and we got in trouble. We had uh, one of the birch barrels. So talked to our friend Jamie who works with birch barrel and we're like hey bring one of the birch barrels over to our booth and we had a fire inside of it and uh, I don't know if it's like the park manager came over and quickly quickly shut it down but we lost our our heater for the for the rest of the time man I got around one of those birch barrels one of those days man it, it made a difference Get yeah your hands up for those sure. things are cool yeah they are neat those things are cool um but yeah so could you tell us uh, sort of a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into hunting? Um, I, I've obviously done a bit of research, but uh, I think for our listeners, love to learn more about you. 
Sure. Uh, yeah, man, I'll try and make it succinct. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in St. Louis, and I moved to uh, the small town in Arkansas to go to this uh, to go to college, this little liberal arts school, and uh, met a girl and stayed in Arkansas, and ended up moving into an old trailer uh, on her family property, like where she grew up, and uh, like fixed it up, you know, made it livable, and uh, just ended up having like a little hobby farm kind of deal out there, and. Uh, that's where I started hunting, right? Like it was on 15 acres. It butted up to a bunch of, uh, big, mature white oak forest. And I had a buddy that was out there. We were uh, working on a project and he was, he was just losing his mind over this habitat. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so, you know, just sitting there swinging a hammer all day long, we're talking about it and, and we, you know, go off into the woods and he's showing me bit off green briar and, you know, sign and, uh, and, you know, just like explaining stuff. And yeah, so then that year I bought a bow. I did a little squirrel hunting, got a bow, uh, killed a deer with a bow, killed a deer with a rifle. Uh, and then either that year or the next year I started, uh, had someone take me out duck hunting a few times. Uh, and then man, it just kind of, you know, uh, proofed after that, right? Like it just, I just, I kind of had like a lot of time uh, mm-hmm. to just be self-determinant. And there's a lot of public land in Arkansas, so I just kind of went, you know, with, with the internet and and thrift store camo and just humping it around a bunch, kind of trying to make up on all the the stuff I hadn't learned, you know, from ten to sure. to twenty seven. You think there was like a like an aha moment where you're like, oh man, this is totally for me, or you just kind of like ease into it very naturally? Uh, man, so. Uh, I bought a compound bow and two weeks later I killed a, you know, for around here, like what my friends had seen, like a pretty good deer. Uh, and I feel like that's when I was, uh, I felt like, uh, you know, there was something serendipitous about it. Like I went mm-hmm. found a spot, I picked a tree, you know, did a little grunt routine. He came in like beat up a tree and peed down his legs. Uh, you know, I shot him at 12 yards, uh, and then he, you know, he ran a couple hundred yards and uh, bedded down and died. Uh, but just like that whole process, you know, I was just like, man, this is doable, right? Uh, and it, man, it felt right. It uh, it was really resonant with me, and uh, yeah, man. And then I I went hard for it, right? <laughs> nice. I like it. No, that's that's a that's an awesome way. I, I I always like to hear sort of how folks got into it. Um, you know, and everybody's got different paths, uh, which is which is great to hear. Um, so this is kind of a fun question that our podcast producer Corey loves me to ask: is uh, what's in your freezer, and what's something you're excited to cook next? Hmm. So freezers, we've got, uh, so man, you know, we've got some, uh, couple of wild hogs, uh, we've got, uh, legs and thighs and wings off of some turkeys still. Uh, there's some white tail in there. There's some elk. There's a black bear. Uh, you know, just like freshwater fish, so like you know, cat yeah. and brim. 
Uh, I know there's something else. Hold up. Mm. And I said, obviously, ducks and geese, right? Like, tons of those. Uh, man, that's probably it. There, there were, like, some cool... There was some cool stuff in there, like, six months ago. <laughs> it's all good. That's, that's... The cool stuff's the first to go to get eaten yeah. in my freeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, like, we've... We like we enjoy the, the the bear meat, you know. Like I prefer that to venison. So, like I've got. Did you? Uh, I saw a post. Did you recently get a bear in the fall? Uh, yeah, I killed a bear this year in September. Nice. Where uh, there in Arkansas? Yeah, in the Wachita. Nice. Mountains. Oh yeah, I know the Wachita. They run in. So I'm from Oklahoma, southeastern Oklahoma originally. Yeah. Wachita run over into Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah, I grew up hunting in that area, for sure. Um, well, not in the Arkansas side, on the Oklahoma side, but we always had, there was always these stories of that they would take the nuisance bears from Arkansas and they would collar them and bring them to Oklahoma. And so that if anybody, and they had like these trackers implanted in them and like all this crazy, like, this is stuff that people just cook up because they have a lot of free time. And they're like, if you shoot that bear and it's a, it's in your house, like they're going to know the trackers there and they're going to come get you. And I'm like. I, I don't I don't know this like I've never seen a bear in person and growing up in Oklahoma so I have no idea. Well, I mean you know there's a there's but, a pretty healthy bear population in southeast Oklahoma now, and it's yeah. <coughs> excuse me, you know as I understand it, it's not because they were trapping nuisance bears. It's just because you know bears were reintroduced in Arkansas, and as they established themselves and proliferated, you know they've I mean they fed into Missouri, so Missouri's got a season now. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma's had a season for a while. Uh, I think they're talking about it in Louisiana. Uh, and that's all, those are all Arkansas bears that made their way out. Right. Uh, yeah. Which I think is, it's great. Like I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I believe the truth behind, uh, some of the old rumors that it's definitely just like a natural process, but people couldn't at the time wrap their head around on why bears were just suddenly appearing in Oklahoma. Yeah, man, they were probably, I mean, you know, they were probably there by Fort Smith and then started creeping over and mm-hmm. the Badlands, as they refer to them. Yep, yep. So, no, it's cool. Um, what was going to, oh, something something you're looking forward to cooking next. And I know uh, I know cooking may not be on your mind with the, with the new one, new little one. But. Oh, no, we're still, we still got to eat, man. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, so tonight we had, so yesterday we had a, a like ribs off of a, off of a couple of pigs that me and my wife had killed down in Texas, and then I took the leftover ribs, and made uh, greens and a pot of beans, so we'll probably eat that for a couple of days. What would be next? Uh, hmm, man, you know, probably I'll probably do a bear roast or something next. Uh, which I'm always jazzed about that. That's, I mean, that's just top shelf. Just, man, just great, you know. Just really great intramuscular fat content and just tastes like really great pot roast with all the, you know, kind of mouth feel that you want for it. Uh, and then, man, we've been doing a bunch of tamales. Like, I just did a bunch of Sandhill Crane tamales. and. Oh, nice. I haven't heard of using Sandhill Crane in tamales. It's 
Man, I like that. you know, everybody says that like the legs are inedible, and that's total horse shit, man. Like we we killed some down in Texas a couple weeks ago. Did a taste test. I took a, I had, I hauled a speck down there that I killed in Arkansas, and we did side by side. You know, the two ribeyes of the skies did a taste comparison, and then I cooked the legs off those cranes down, and uh, you know, rehydrated my peppers with the braising liquid and all that stuff, made tamales. Man, they were killer. I mean. Very analogous to wild turkey. Uh, yeah, they've got a man. They've got a ton of tendons, like really hard, uh, like bony protrusion type tendons uh, that almost look like feathers. Like they're they're really quite beautiful. But uh, that's the only annoying thing. You just have to. But I mean, if you can pick the meat off a squirrel, you can you can break those things down, right? Yeah, man. I just like I it, it kind of not doesn't frustrate me, but uh. Like lift an eyebrow and people are like, no, the leg meat. Talk about like ducks and geese and all the things. I'm like, come on, like, uh, you know, appreciative of sort of the whole the whole use of the animal and like cranes can't be any different. Like, no, they were great. I mean, we plucked them. You know, like no one plucks cranes. I was like, man, let's pluck them. Let's see what's up. Uh, I mean, virtually no fat content at all on those birds, right? Which to me was kind of the, the taste difference between that and the speckle belly is that skin and fat mm-hmm. content on, on on the goose, but otherwise they're very analogous. Uh, dude, that's a lot of that's a lot of folks being lazy and then trying to find a way to justify it. Because like straight up, like the legs on a mallard, the birds this year in Arkansas have been particularly fatty, which is something I've never said about Arkansas birds before. They're usually not. <laughs> they've been, they've man, the teal have just been butterballs, right? Like the geese have been really fat, the mallards have been fat, and I've been getting breasted out birds, breasted out teal from people, and plucking the legs and thighs and cutting the legs and thighs off and just having a mess of them and brazing them down, and they are, I mean, they are. It's like what you thought a duck leg. It's like what you thought duck tasted like before the first time someone just screwed up some duck and gave it to you, right? I mean, it's like uh, it's like a car- like a cartoon chicken leg, right? Like if they stick the thing in their mouth and yeah. just pull out the bone. It's the best thing ever. And people are road ditching this stuff, and it just it boggles my mind. Uh, and so there's so many levels, right, to approach mm-hmm. it on. There's like the moral level, the ethical level, the pragmatism level. Uh, just pure self-serving narcissistic greed like this is delicious stuff it's delicious stuff you know it's like why why would you take a ribeye and cut all the fat off of it because that's what you're doing if you're not plucking those geese and those ducks right yeah yeah i remember like the first restaurant i cooked at in new orleans is we did we did like it's farm-raised duck but like really good quality farm-raised duck Mm -hmm. and like the the legs and stuff oh man like that part roasting them and then we would debone them all and then like put put it back in kind of the the skin mm-hmm. so that you you basically you got the dish was served with sort of like this pulled pulled slash shredded just like crumbled meat with this crispy delicious skin on top of it and that was like the one thing like every time it came out of the oven I would like sneak I would just sneak a little bit like oh it was just so good and then you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Like growing up as a kid, like we were taught just breast the birds out and move on. And it wasn't until I was adult that I was like, 
there just seems something wrong with this and then getting into it and digging into the research and learning more about it and then taking like my experiences in the culinary world and it was like why are people getting rid of this stuff like this you know it's it's like buying meat from the store cutting it in half and throwing the other half in the trash well, like the best like <clears throat> the best tasting part too right yeah like yeah that fat that subcutaneous fat uh that's on those birds or like on those bears like you know it's kind of become in vogue the last couple of years because uh, of Newcomb, like with bear grease and stuff. But there's mm-hmm. so many people that were – I was turkey hunting in Michigan talking to this guy, and he's like, man, you can uh, you can use bear fat? I was like, you know, he's killing bears every year. I said, dude, I mean, again, like even if someone saw this as like some tree-hugging, hippy-dippy stuff, right? Like I'm telling you, saving the fat off a bear and making biscuits with it, or frying fish in it, or uh, whatever it might be, is exponentially better, right? Uh, those tamales yeah. are so much better by taking the time to pluck and put that skin in there, right? And that kind of breaks down and adds collagen to it, and it gives you that mouthfeel that you want, and that just slickness, right? Uh, the lack of which, I think a lot of people that are conditioned to eat meat that ate nothing but corn, they miss, that's how you get some of it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not all about, you know. I'm so, I'm so refined and my palate is uh, so mature that I can, uh, you know, I can digest these these funky tasting things. Like you want the stuff to taste better, keep all of that stuff, right? That big glob of fat in the ass end of the duck when you were plucking it. Take that and render that down and make your roux for your gumbo. You'll be putting layers of flavor on this. That's that you cannot replicate, right? No. Yeah, and that um also too I've been I've been doing a lot of research about like some of the health benefits in animal fat versus some of like seed oils and things like that and sure. you know, we still use seed oils and stuff, but it seems like things are swinging a bit direction and I know it's uh the research world is sometimes fickle when it comes to food topics of what's good and what's bad, but uh I, I still stand by a lot of wild game and why not to like wild fats as well. Do you, uh, do you render the fat off those pigs down in Texas? You're yeah. You know what we, you know what we do with them? We do them in our camp too. We make, we make cookies with them the first night. Okay. And that's like, that's like the aha moment of people are like, what? We're like, yeah, we're making pork fat cookies. Like you can use the pork, you can use it. It's perfect. No, we had, uh, we pulled a ton off. Casey's pig that he shot and then this time we had a a film guy with us and he he shot a pig as well and his was super fat I mean like we pulled the belly off and it looked like like thin bacon that's how yeah. like the fat was just beautiful uh yeah people should be taking advantage of that stuff man yeah and uh what was it one of them too like the copa cut on the back yeah Looked like something you would buy at the grocery store. Like it was just, it was beautiful. Make some gabagoo. Yeah. Um. What was I gonna say? Man, we went in a, a bunch of different, a bunch of different directions all at once. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One thing I was curious about is like, where did sort of the intersection with food and and wild game kind of hit for you? Like, the the translation from the hunting to the eating. Uh, well, you know, so I was like, I was working in food, cooking, and on and off kind of for a long time, uh, and and then. The, the moving out to a rural area uh, and starting to hunt, you know, like started to grow a big garden, started to hunt, started, you know, it was finally in a situation where we could have chickens and we had chickens and ducks and geese and we had a couple of goats, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Just being involved in it in that way. And, and then being out in those woods, like I said, man, there's all these huge white oaks everywhere, a really pretty woods, uh, and so I started Googling, you know, like cooking with acorns, like surely this stuff's edible, right? And uh, I think when I kind of like entered that realm, when I was like trying to figure out how to eat acorns, uh, <laughs> that, that I mean, all of it made sense, right? So I was hunting. I had a little restaurant operation going on. I was, <clears throat> I was raising birds and then slaughtering them and make turning, you know, doing duck ham. This is, I don't know, when, uh, 2010, something like that. Uh, and making duck ham and then serving them, serving these sandwiches, uh, like in a bar, right? Uh, and just kind of giving, just trying, giving a shit about execution, right? Like, I had a small menu in that bar, but used all local meat, used all local cheese, baked all the bread, baked all the hamburger buns. So all of that was happening at the same time. Uh, and it all just worked worked with each other, right? Just like being as involved in the processes as you possibly could be. So seems to me like a pretty, pretty natural transition into just sort of digging into the world of wild food, like kind of as, as you got more and more involved with hunting. Uh, yeah, I mean, like right, well, you know, right from the beginning, uh, like I've never, I've never taken a deer to a processor. I've never taken a critter to a processor, you know, so it was, it was always that level from the beginning, uh, which, you know, to me, it's, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like an examination of craft, right. And and what that means Mm -hmm. and craft as an exercise that, uh, isn't necessarily limited to something you do professionally just as a way that you interact with the world uh so yeah man it, it just all you know, i mean like i was i was spray painting hoodies and like trying to make my own camo and like uh cutting out carpet and sticking it on my feet to try and be like a bobcat you know and just getting as weird as i could with it <laughs> that's awesome I like it. I, uh, man, yeah, you you can market that the carpet now. Lots of people are 
trying to get into that with bow hunting out here in the West. Dude, it does. It works actually amazingly well. If you just take some old shag carpet and, you know, cut it out in the shape of your foot and put a couple straps on it, uh, it is incredibly effective. Uh, it just, you know, it gets gunked up. You got to keep them clean. But, uh, no, I have people in the bar laughing at me about it. But, like, man, especially on a little bit of damp ground, I mean, mm-hmm. it's silent. I mean, I got buddies that'll kick their shoes off and walk in their socks, stocking elk. So, like, carpet seems like a very natural, like, safer transition than getting, you know, a thorn or God knows what in your foot. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, you know, a bear or a bobcat or something, they got that hair on their paws, so when they walk, it kind of muffles the sound. But, I mean, this is, this is 13, 14 years ago, you know, I'm goofing off with that. That's fair, man. So let's let's shift gears a little bit. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about Black Duck Revival and like how that sort of came to be and how you took that vision in your mind and and created it to be something that that seems very special. Uh, so that started just as you know, I'd been doing some public land hunting for a few years around uh, Brinkley, Arkansas, which is a town that the lodge is in and mm-hmm. one day after hunting i was just driving around and you know trying to find just some dilapidated just some cheap little you know flop house that i could maybe get a hold of and just use as a camp for me and my buddies to duck hunt uh and i looked at a couple places and ended up you know i, I mean i did this for maybe a couple of months but i ended up finding this old church and i bought it and uh, thought i was just going to kind of do like a superficial flip on it and it just ended up being just rotten you know like all the way rotten so uh so i just you know but i i was kind of finding that out as i was peeling layers back and putting money into it and then you know i was in a situation where it's like you're gonna lose this money you're gonna try and do something with it so i said man well i'll build this out and i just did the work myself uh on my days off and we just built it out and i said man we'll We'll use it, and then when we're not using it, we'll Airbnb it, you know, some other duck hunters. Uh, so did that the first year and kind of had some folks out for a hunt, just some folks I'd kind of discovered on uh, social media, uh, just kind of folks that seemed like outside the fray as far as hunting. And, you know, that was kind of like the first rudimentary idea of doing these hunts. And it, man, it was it went so well and it was so fun and I just felt like I was good at it. Uh, I said, man, I'll try and do a couple more next year, and then that couple more turned into a bunch that year. Uh, and then yeah, it's been that since. And then it expanded into like I do these uh, <clears throat> I do these uh, like catfish alternative met- method catfish trips where you just like me and one or two other people and we spent a weekend just drifting through the bayous, really cool environments and, you know, talking about birds and catching catfish and eating really good. And it's a, it's a fun way to spend a couple of days. So, you know, I do that and then now it's turned into, I go other places and kind of do the same sort of thing. Uh, folks will have me come out and do cooking and cleaning demos or, which I mean, like you know, you're doing, and there's other folks that are doing some of that stuff. Uh, and you know, 
I don't know. I'd say I just I kind of bring a particular spin to it, and so folks that are into my spin on stuff uh, and the way I approach it uh, seems like they get a lot out of the classes, you know. So uh, what uh, what's kind of your spin on it? Just curious. Uh, not well, not gonna not gonna take your ideas oh, just no, no, no. <laughs> for conversation's you know, sake. Well, <laughs> I think there's. You know, I'm really motivated by the idea of self-determination and self-capability. So, one, uh, the whole pursuit is an exercise in those uh, ideas, Mm -hmm. Uh, which, depending on who you are and where you come from and what your background is or for any number of reasons, could be really really empowering for you, right? Uh, So, I think there's that perspective. I think... uh, just kind of appreciating and embracing and acknowledging how uh, how fascinating and fraught the South is, you know, with many different things, you know, hunting and fishing and relationships between people being, you know, amongst many of them and uh, in many ways like the saving grace of uh, some of those, you know, societal shortfalls has, has been food. Right in the way that people have interacted and melded with food, so I think there's that uh, approach to it, and 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 because of that, uh, you know, there's a there's a democratization uh, of the idea of cooking to me within that. So there's this real trend. I'd say most of wild food that I've seen in the last ten years. is one and I'll, I'll just say this because uh, I think he doesn't he hasn't been getting enough credit lately uh, but I think a lot of it in the last 10 years has been Hank Shaw derivative uh, and a lot of times without people even realizing that's where a lot of that stuff came from uh, and then I, think, I, I agree with you yeah I mean yeah. it's and I'm not saying that Hank uh, invented anything but uh, I mean last 15 years like you know, he, he really kind of changed the trajectory of wild food. Uh, and then a lot of people were just doing versions of his stuff uh, and never really realizing where it came from. Uh, so I think that there's that, which becomes boring to me, right? Because it's the same thing over and over again. And then I think there's an elitism to it as well. Uh, you know, so you have people posturing and talking about, you know, I provide the most ethically sourced organic protein for my family. <laughs> Right. Uh, without even thinking yeah. about the fact that, especially as we move into like Western hunting, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't like, uh, there's some access to resources that you need to hunt, right? Like duck hunting mm-hmm. is not a cheap pursuit. Uh, you know, uh, backcountry hunting is not an inexpensive pursuit, right? I mean, you can do both cheaply, but usually not. Uh, so I think people get up on a high horse about access to ingredients and then they have to, they have to razzle dazzle you with everything. Right. So like there's been this real trend lately of, of venison Wellington, uh, uh, like heart tartars. I've seen a bunch of, uh, a few years ago, you know, everyone was doing call fat type stuff, which is, yeah. which is all cool. Uh, but I, I'm more interested you know, and someone who has developed a really fantastic, like Midwest goulash recipe for their whitetail, 
you know, that's been in their family for 30 years. Uh, or like the idea of gumbos on many different levels, like historically, ingredient wise, culturally different expressions of, of those like soups or stews. Those are really fascinating to me. So that, that holds my interest much more than, you know, microgreens and everybody who's ever cooked anything calling themselves a chef. Uh, <laughs> you know, like is, to me, that's almost more of like a rank. And I don't think you get that rank uh, if you've never worked in a professional kitchen, which is not required to be an excellent cook. But just everybody, you know, and like you're wearing whites for no reason. Like, have you ever worn whites? That I don't think they're comfortable. You know, I'd rather Mm-mm. cook with an apron and a like a Hanes undershirt. Uh, yep. But yep. So yeah, so I would say that that would be uh, my approach. And then also like whole animal usage. Again, not just out of this this moral righteousness. Like I think we as hunters we we do stuff and then we try and justify it or wrap it up or explain it away with this idea of conservation right and uh, conservation is uh, something that as I've become more developed as a hunter I've I cared more about right and matters more to me mm-hmm. but it wasn't at the forefront of my mind when I started hunting right like I wanted to see if I could I, I wanted to see if I was capable of feeding myself right like uh, without, without you know, with as limited a touch of modernity as possible. Uh, and I think, I even think back to like coming up as a hunter, you know, as a kid and like teenage and like, you know, you're you're taught of conservation through like hunter's ed or the state or you know, we think like growing up in a an agriculture family like. That that sort of like conservation land stewardship conservation is there, but like from a hunting sense, it was about like going out and catching or going out and shooting whatever we were pursuing and then getting out and doing it. And the food came after the fact. And it wasn't until like, you know, being older that reflecting back and like looking at the interactions of the food with my family that I realized like, wow, this, it, the hunting and the fishing, particularly fishing, I did a lot with my grandfather. But I realized too, like sometimes we didn't have a lot of money to do other things. So it was like, oh, well, we can just go fishing. And it's like, all right, let's go. And then it's come back, and you know, a lot of people these days frown on eating largemouth bass. But I grew up eating largemouth bass, and I think they're yeah. they're phenomenal. And part of that, I think there would have been some struggles if those largemouth bass weren't in weren't hitting the table at my house, but no, I, I think, uh, I think the value of the food side of it's great, but in, in reflecting on it, like the conservation piece of like protecting public lands, taking care of the land around you. Like, you know, I remember as a kid, like, Oh, don't pollute, don't throw things, don't do this, you know, don't dump things in the water. But like from a conservation standpoint, I don't think it hit me till I was later in life. Like the value. Yeah. I mean, I had to be taught that stuff, right? Uh, uh-huh. and th- I think everybody does. Right. And I think just folks should be, maybe this is me getting up on a soapbox, but like, there's no, there's no need to be disingenuous. Like hunting is a, is a strange fraught thing. Uh, and I think that we're, uh, 
we're too dismissive of all the different uh, reasons for like all the different whys, right? So I mean, there's there's self capability and there's romance and there's food and there's conservation and there's testing oneself and there's uh, you know trying to unplug or turn off or I mean, there's a million different reasons and and I feel like they're weighted differently depending on where you're at in your life. And how the situation presents itself, um, and I mean that's part of that's part of the good stuff, too, right? Like you can participate yeah. in, in many different ways. I mean, I feel like as long as I'm I'm doing it in a way that I feel is uh, fits my moral compass, right? And uh, uh, you know, obviously legal, but I mean beyond legal, yeah, just like feels right to me. Uh, I feel like I'm doing something good, and that and that changes, right? I, I've had a lot of conversations too, and I think I'm I'm like in the same headspace with you on that. Is like, you know, the the legality of it is obviously the forefront, but sometimes too, like, just because it's legal doesn't mean that that's the path I'm going to choose. Not saying that I would deviate from the law, but like, I don't know what's a good example. Um, I guess Dauphin tags are an example. Like I, I set something for myself as like, and I know there's science behind it, but just like in my mind, I play it different of like, I won't take a doe that has, you know, a yearling or a fawn with it. Like I won't, I won't shoot that. Deer or pronghorn or just anything. Deer, pronghorn. Like, yeah. I won't, if it sees like a visible pair, like they're still together. And I know science, science has since proven that usually they're, they find another companion, the, the, or the fawn would find another companion or whatever. But I, I don't know. Still like morally, like, I, I don't know. I draw the line, personal choice, but sure. yeah. Or like some folks don't want to, you know, some folks don't want to hunt bears or yeah. whatever it is. Don't want to hunt with dogs or don't want to hunt cats or, uh, don't want to hunt without a certain other person. Like somebody, some people only want to hunt like with their grandpa or their dad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, I mean, I don't need to wring my hands about this. I just (laughs) think that uh, there's a lot of different reasons to do it. Uh, And if I'm being honest, like the conservation, I had, I had zero idea about it. You know, I didn't even know that you were, (sighs) dude, I didn't know about like Hunter's Ed and all that stuff. Like, all that stuff I had to be taught. Like I hunted with a friend my first year on like a hunter's deferred and then, uh, or hunters that deferred, you know, they like let you hunt mm-hmm. for one year. And then yeah, we have like uh what is it? It's like an apprentice hunt or something in Colorado yeah. is what they call it. So, uh, anyway, what else you want to talk about? <laughs> um, I guess, um, I do want to talk about cooking before we run out of time. Sure. Cause I did like poke around, I poked around your website and I really appreciate some of the recipes you have on there. Um, Yeah. I've been kind of woefully non posting on there for uh, a while, but hopefully soon back to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's still, there's still good recipes. Uh, and I want to talk about the first I want up at Sitka. I'm Sitka gear too now. So I just like, yeah, I just like double post it. Right. Like just post a link, Mm -hmm. but, a lot of the stuff I write for Sitka has recipes with it, so there's a lot more like new stuff on there. 
Ooh, I'll have to go over there and, and poke around. I haven't been much on the, the Sitka website, but I'll, I'll go check it out. Um, we already talked, so I had in my notes to talk about, uh, you wrote an article, why do I salvage every scrap from ducks and geese? But I think we kind of, we, we definitely hit on that one sure. for sure. Um, but two, just curious, uh, top five eating birds. What do you think? Uh, so as far as birds, right, my experience is going to be waterfowl and turkeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Put you on the spot I'm on that say, one. I'm going to say speck. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say speck, turkey. Teal. Uh, mallard. Wood duck. I think that's how I'd go. Ooh, nice. I like that, yeah. I don't do a lot of like... I've never killed a dove. You know, I've, really? Yeah, I've just—it's not—it's so like in Arkansas, like the way the way doves are in Texas, it's not like it's big of a cultural thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm just gearing up for other stuff. Like I'm, I'm thinking about—I'm uh, trying to get a bunch of stuff done so I can go bear hunt. Uh, and I feel like I get it. What's the what's the fall bear season there? Uh, this year, I mean, it was like mid. September, you know, it was, mm, oh wow, yeah, yeah, maybe like seventeenth or something of September. So, uh, I mean, it's hot, you know. It's like you're hunting in yeah. degree stuff. Uh, but yeah, so like, I don't have, I don't have, like, I've never eaten a woodcock. Uh, I've eaten quail, but I've never killed a quail, uh, and I don't, I don't have really any interest in, uh, like the pen pen raised birds. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, man, that's, I mean, that's, I ate a lot of ducks and geese and these turkeys the last few years, and I'm like thoroughly obsessed with them now. I'm, I'm still on the fence about turkey. I don't know. I've had, had good ones, I've had bad ones. I'm just like, I don't know. As far as eating them or or hunting them? Yeah. Eating them. Well, hunting them. I've like, I definitely have a love hate relationship with hunting them. So I just get super frustrated with them. Like, but <laughs> I think they're who wily, get man. They're, I always say, yeah, like they're everything good about, about uh, like duck hunting and everything and everything good about big game hunting. Right. So you get like that talking to them, you get that communication, uh, you get that, which is great for me, like the nerding out. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. if I could spin this camera around, there's, I don't know. There's a hundred and something duck calls in this room right now. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Just, I mean, yeah, man. Like, you know, there's that, right? Like, I made that one, and then there, here's a coyote call that you can blow as a spec call, and just whatever else. Uh, I love that. I love figuring out how to talk to them and how to make your voice do different things and all of that. Uh, but man, it's eating a bad one. I have not eaten. I haven't eaten one that wasn't great. Maybe I just, maybe I just have had them not prepared great. Because I'll tell you, like I have not, I have not shot a turkey, so I've not uh, prepared my own turkeys, uh, too. So I'll admit that. I mean, dude, I really don't. So look, I'd say breast, obviously, brine them, fry them. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like a satay, right? 
You know, like I killed six turkeys last year. I was feeling froggy, so I was doing like these lemongrass satays, grilling them. They were fantastic. Oh, nice. Uh, just doing like cutlets are great. Yeah. Uh, and then legs and thighs, man, like any number of things, right? Like carnitas, or making smoked turkey salad, or uh, I haven't done just like. You know, I'm at the Renaissance Fair, big giant turkey leg yet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then like the breast too. I, I think that's our plan to really to be the white meat for like the kids' lunch meat this year. Uh, we're already making ham out of bears and uh, yeah, you know, like send them with mule deer sandwiches and stuff. But you know, this way they keep them from being as weird. At the lunch table, right? <laughs> That's right. I send my daughter gets sent with various types of wild game to school, and she's like, she's got a reputation now because she's ten. So, you know, kids are getting a little older, a little more judgy, and sure. yeah, which she's like, whatever. It's like my dad shot this. Like I was out there too. Like I helped him carry it out, and I'm like, good. Tell your stories. Like those are your food stories. They're important. Oh, um. What was I going to say? Oh, well, as we transition to some of the recipes here, let me open this one. So I've got the corn snow goose and cabbage egg rolls. Mm-hmm. So first off, I'll tell you, huge fan of a uh, huge fan of egg rolls. I've got a couple up on the website or on our website as well at Harvesting Nature that I did on various things from like just a traditional you know, something you would get at the the takeout Chinese food restaurant, but like converted to wild game. I think the difference was I didn't use cabbage or I didn't use cabbage. I used Brussels sprouts because I thought it gave it like a more like very uh, bold, yeah. bold flavor. Yeah. But no, these looking at these uh, corn snow goose and cabbage egg rolls, those those look pretty phenomenal. So. And in your recipe, you mentioned like not going through the corning process, like tons of resources out there on, on corning, which for those that may not know corning, curing, like it's another method of that. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like like a wet, it's salt, sugar, pickling spice and Instacure, right? Uh, yep. And you can do it with, uh, what's that? Like Morton's tender quick. You could do it with that. You could do it Mm -hmm. in different ways. Uh, I think especially when I did that one and like, like goose pastrami was, I was just like tired of seeing goose pastrami everywhere. Right. Like (laughs) everybody and their mother invented it one year. Uh, but yeah, man, that recipe should be tweaked because I've actually found that not cooking any of the veg first is the way to go. You just get a better texture. Still have like a little toothsomeness to it, but, uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, super simple, man, and like do it with something that people will tell you is inedible. Uh, dude, I mean they're killer, right? Like the egg, like you said, egg roll is a great vehicle, just like a burrito or something. You get crispy on the outside. Basically, doing corned beef and cabbage all wrapped up. Yeah, then you know eat it like bar food, right? Dipping in Thousand Island and French dressing or something. They're great. Man, they're so good. This is a great food. I love egg rolls, like little little mini fried burritos, just pillows of happiness. Yeah, man, dude, like tapas style, style stuff, right? Like, yeah. uh, I just did a recipe for, uh, I mean, essentially like fried duck wings. Just like braise them first, 
get them fork tender, cool them off, dredge them, fry them. And then I tossed them in like this sweet, spicy sauce, right? Use like cranberry relish mm-hmm. as the, the sweet part. But man, you know how awesome that is? You're sitting in camp and you've been, your buddies that just want to breast up birds, you've been like saving all those legs and stuff. Uh, and they add up kind of quick, you know? Uh, and then you're sitting around watching TV or hanging out, drinking beer, and you're eating those, and they're so good. Uh, and you're just thinking every time you eat one, man, like people are throwing this away. Uh, but I, I love little stuff, man, that you can just kind of have a mound of. and Just just stuff that's designed to, to be shared, right? Like soups and like big kind of brothy stuff and then lots of big piles of little stuff. I always get uh... – the recipe comes to mind is like a Japanese heart skewer recipe. Sure. So it was originally, it's like a, was it Japanese? I think it's yakitori is the technique, but uh, I like to do it with antelope hearts because I find a lot of antelope hunters are like, if I'm leaving things in the field, like the inside of an antelope are staying there just because that carries, when you cut the antelope open, like that sage, smell like hit you and people are just turned off by it. And I'm like, no, like get it out of that environment, get it back in the kitchen. And like the hearts are just like anything else. Like it's a muscle, but taking those and cutting them down into strips and then putting them on like the bamboo skewers or whatever with the sauce is just, but that's it. I've like, I think one year I took, I had probably six hearts that people had given me that they were like, I'm just going to leave it. And I was like, I'll take it. And then it turned around and like we had a dinner and I cooked those and it was same exactly like the reaction. You could see that aha moment where people were like, wait, I've been leaving this in the field? Kind of like, Yeah, man. Why? I mean, you think about it too, you know, like org- on birds. So like I'll do that exact same sort of thing just with like whole duck hearts or uh, mm-hmm. whole speck hearts or something. Uh, but yeah, man, doing that or dirty rice with the giblets. Uh, yes you know and but what you do man is like you you do that you know two three birds worth man you can make dirty rice for 10 people uh and everybody be full and then they look and it's like oh i still have all the breast meat i still have the legs i've still got the carcasses to make stock with and we just mow down uh man you get a lot you just get so as a functional like feeding yourself thing you get a lot more out of the birds but you know if you're thinking about this with with your hunting experiences, same thing you're talking about with your daughter, right? Like what you're into that she's, she's communicating these people at school. Like every time, if you're getting more than just one, one or two bites of poppers out of a duck, if you can get four meals out of that one bird. Like that's four times the opportunity to make people listen to you tell the story of where you guys were, like how awesome your dog did, or just this special thing that you saw, or, you know, when so-and-so, pooped all over his waders when he was trying to get up on a log, whatever it is. Uh, you just get to engage with the experience that many more times. Yeah. I think the the value in that too is like, um, you mentioned it earlier and I had it in my notes of like food transcending all the cultural boundaries and like conversation, the ability just to talk about it is, I think I've had more conversations with people, non-hunters, about food that have led to conversations about hunting or even, like, invitations to come hunting than anything else. Like, they just start talking, oh, I made this, uh, you know, 
mule deer and potato curry. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's really great. I was like, you want to try some? And they're like, well, yeah, actually, I do. And then it turns into a big conversation about, you know, why I hunt and the value of the food and all that stuff. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, somebody's like, I think I want to know more about, like, I want to know more about it. Dude, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, I said this on a podcast of mine not too long ago, but that, like, dude, cooking is storytelling, right? So Mm -hmm. I feel like, especially the way I cook and, like, you know, if you come to the, if you come to the lodge, right, like this place that I made, right, with my own hands, and then uh, you, we go out and hunt for a couple of days, and then you watch me, like, while we're, I'm showing you how to, like, wax pluck this bird or mechanically pluck it or whatever. Or here's this little trick or that. And then I'm out there, you know, with the fire going and we're skewering hearts and we're cooking up dirty rice. And you're watching me make gumbo over two days of cooking stock down. Like, you're getting a really good idea of who I am with this dish. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. really, I'm communicating something to you. I'm, commu- I'm communicating my values to you. Uh, you get an idea of my ethos, right? You get an idea of my personality, right? Like, uh, you know, some folks are like real flashy and lack substance. Some folks are just like all substance and it just looks like, you know, something took a crap on a plate. You know, some people trying, I mean, most probably good cooks try and ride the line somewhere. I'm real big on textural mm-hmm. juxtaposition, right? Like I love, I love crispy things. Uh, with softer stuff, right? So, I mean, egg roll is a great example of that. Or mm-hmm. uh, topping. Uh, you know, you could you could top something like warm and soft uh, with like say you're ma- say you're gonna make like turkey and dumplings, right? And then you or, or squirrel and dumplings or something, right? But then you because you plucked your birds, you've got you've got turkey skin, and so you can. Uh, julienne that up and fry it up real quick and just make like little cracklings and put that on top like that's your garnish right like that takes it someplace else uh, or uh, making squirrel making squirrel and dumplings and uh, you've made it you've you know dealt with enough acorns to make some flour to make your little dumplings with like part acorn flour like that communicates something totally different than uh, man you know I put cream of chicken and I put cream of mushroom and I put cream of celery in here and uh, rotisserie chicken, and you know, thirty-five minutes later, I had chicken and dumplings. Yeah, it just it means something different, and the person they get that in the in the final result. Yeah, and I think it establishes more of a connection to. I think to like, it's like you. It's a vulnerability thing too. Ooh, right? Yeah, opening yeah, up to people good. when you're sharing food. Yeah, like you're. Hey, I'm gonna put this thing that I created in front of you and. And I'm hoping that you're going to like it because I like it. And if you don't like it, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. Mm. Like, that's a real good point, man. I think yeah, folks don't folks don't bring out that much. Like, yeah, it's it's a it, it man. I think if done well and done right, it is a really vulnerable thing. But like all the good, like heavy heroic shit comes out of vulnerability, right? So mm-hmm. uh, that's why people have these like transcendental meals uh, or maybe it's a whole, maybe, you know, like what I'm shooting for, like when folks come hunt with me or whatever, is that that whole weekend kind of makes them feel that way. Right. All the parts yeah. feed into the other parts. Like there's been this trust and this display of vulnerability that helped build the trust to get them to that, 
to to get them to be able to access the marrow of like what I'm trying to serve up, right? Mm-hmm. And I think too, uh, was it Anthony Bourdain talked a lot about this about like the meal people enjoying the meal or connecting with the meal is more than just the food of the taste of the food. It's like experiential, like it's the setting, it's the smell, it's the sights. It's like this whole thing that brings it that if you took that same dish and you put it in a different environment, it may not draw the same emotions. Yeah. Like, you know what I figured out was that something I started doing uh, when I had clients was uh, I just keep like a big stock pot going. So we'll clean birds and we'll get carcasses. And as we cook them and stuff, we're throwing those carcasses in there. And I don't, I'm, I'm not concerned with uh, having like translucent stock, right? Like I'll, I'll sieve it off. Like I get all the floaters and stuff out, but man, I fill it up with bones and I let it cook down until it's like three quarters gone and fill it back up and then take the old bones out and put new in. I mean, I'll keep it going for days and days. But having that going all the time so that like that whole building smells like that. And then when we're mm-hmm. we're cooking stuff, oh, i got to make a pan sauce. They see me just pull a ladle of that out and pour it in or just grab a bunch of it for gumbo or whatever it might be. Like That informs the meal. Uh, it informs the entire experience. And it's something very different than if uh, they just you know showed up to a place, shot a bunch of birds, and then came back and you know they've got their... They've got their like uh, tomahawk steaks just sitting out for them, right? Yeah, no, it's like I agree with you one hundred percent, and like that became a foundation of like our camps as well as like I want people so immersed into like the food aspect of it that they're like, how can I not walk away with this without the appreciation of like of the food side of it? Like, and I think people it hits people different too. Um, Cause sometimes people don't expect to walk into that. They're like, Oh, you know, I'm going to go pig hunting or, you know, I'm going to go duck hunting. And then they get there and you're just like, Whoa. Like, yeah, man. It's, a, it's a lot, dude. Like it can be a lot. Yeah. And, and it, what's cool is that I keep them real small. So like, I don't do more than five people and, yeah. and I can, I can tailor it towards what the folks there need. Right. Uh-huh. Like I've done it enough that I'm like, oh, they need a little more of this side of it or they need a little less of this. Right. Like or these folks, they need to they need to stay out here and clean these birds, even though it's cold and rainy, because that's what they need. And, you know, there's some hubris to that, like me telling somebody what they need. But I'm just saying you get a read for the group. You kind of steer the group yeah. a little bit. Uh, and yeah, man, sometimes they're like really like emotionally draining in a good way. And uh, sometimes they're just so much fun. But you kind of get to that too when you're when I'm dealing with like repeat folks and like we've got a relationship we've already kind of gone through a journey together and so then there's there's different levels of these experiences to reach right man I I like seeing the journey play out like just sort of like the the narrative build for people like as they're going through it I think that's from sort of the other side of the curtain that's kind of what draws me to what draws me to the whole experience I think. Which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, nothing's nothing's totally altruistic, right? Like you're getting something out of it yeah. too. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, holy smokes, man, this has been a really good conversation. Right on, dude. Uh, um, 
I did want to hit on a couple of the other recipes, but I think I think we're near and on time. And I know you you said you had some commitments coming up, so I don't want to hold you up. But one thing I did want to talk about was your smoked venison hot links. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. big foodie. I really like those. You don't often see folks kicking out hot links recipes with with venison, and I think uh, that it really fascinated me because I love hot links. Um, and I just, uh, I think it's really great. Like an old Earl Campbell. You, <laughs> you ever seen like the Earl Campbell? Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude. And that's like, you know, that's a whole nother, we're like, again, like that's making something familiar. Like I'm actually fixing, I'm going to make a bunch of uh, like bologna and it's really going to be yeah. summer sausagey, whatever, but, uh, but you don't make it big, right. And slice it up and stick it on a loaf of bread. Uh, but yeah, making stuff that's familiar to people that folks already have, uh, like identify with, uh, there's really something to that. And like I always say, like I would way rather somebody kill a deer and grind the whole thing up and just all they do is make like, you know, uh, Ohio stand like Ohio style like you know shredded cheese tacos and hamburger helper. Because that's that is uh, exponentially more honest than going and buying meat from anywhere, and it's honest and real. You know, like everything I make is not mm-hmm. Instagram worthy. Like, there's a lot of times we eat a grilled piece of whatever meat it is and canned green beans and you know freaking grapes or whatever. Right? Like, I've got little kids. Like, it's not all. It's not always going to be. Uh, the most stupendous thing, uh, but the fact that they they understand that the meat that they're eating comes from this or that, you know, they ask what kind of meat is this, and then I can tell them, and I say that's when Daddy called you from up on this mountain or whatever. Like that's got a lot of value to it, right? So if all you're doing yeah. if all you're doing is making hamburger helper lasagna and eating white bread with margarine, which is like what I grew up eating. Uh, like I wouldn't be messed up about serving that to my kids because there's nostalgia in it to me, right? I'll tell them that's what Granddaddy used mm-hmm. to to make, right? Like I I didn't have, you know, I was like 15 years old before I ever had a salad dressing that was a Thousand Island, right? Because I ate what what like my folks knew and like my folks came from folks that were like sharecroppers in the South and like. You know, had we we've got food that's important to us, but we didn't have this wide berth. Like my grandparents never saw an avocado, right? Uh, and they, you know, they were making they were making Thousand Island dressing because they were whipping up mayonnaise and relish and ketchup, right? So, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah, hot links, dude. They're uh, they're good, right? And then especially like if you're southern and you grew up with that, yeah, it makes you think of church picnics and fairs and all that all that jazz. Gas stations. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, things, yeah. Boudin, like everyone loves boudin, man. Like that's gas station food, right? Yep. Yep. Some of the best boudin comes out of gas stations. Yeah. For sure. My mom was big. She'd go to every time because uh, she worked a lot in Texas, like South Texas and Houston. And so she'd go as she was down working, she'd go over across the border and pick up boudin. Uh, you know, from Louisiana or South Texas, like I don't want to get into the the debate on the 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 premierness of Boudin, but um, she would come back and it's like Boudin on the grill, like 
crispy to the point yeah. that some of it was like black with uh, ranch style beans is like the way we like the way I grew up eating it. Um, and man, just like that you talk about nostalgia, that's nostalgia for me. I remember it. I can smell it. I can see it. Like it just feels good. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it with like grilling it or frying it like crispy casing. I love it for breakfast, mm-hmm. man. I love you know that and a cast iron skillet and then scrambled eggs after duck hunting. That's great breakfast, man. Ooh, that's great. Well, what's uh, what's the best way people can connect with you? Yeah, so uh, websites Black Duck Revival. Uh, Instagram is uh, just the handles Black Duck Revival. The podcast is the Black Duck Revival podcast. Uh, so yeah, noticing a trend. <laughs> yeah, man, keep it all all on brand, right? All simple, right? Cool. Well, um, no. Definitely. Thanks. Thanks for chatting. This is kind of like the moment in the show where if you have a last thought, last idea, question, anything you want to leave the the listeners with, please fire away. If not, don't worry about it. We'll move on. Uh, man, pluck your birds. Just pluck your birds. And if that's all I ever contribute in a culinary way, I will have I will have done good. You don't have to get in the eating the guts or any of that other weird stuff. You don't have to use the feet in your stock. <laughs> Just pluck your birds, uh, and all of your all of your meals will be better. I uh, I think you've contributed a lot to the culinary world, <laughs> not just in this show, but in general, which is great. So um, no, thanks again for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, Hope to connect with you again at some point and, and chat out some more food stuff. I, I liked where the conversation was going. So um, I encourage anybody out there listening, like uh, make sure you head over to uh, Instagram, uh, check out the Black Duck Revival, check out the podcast too. Great stuff there. And then, uh, you know, thanks everybody for listening this evening. Uh, we'll make all our show notes online. I'll link some of the recipes and stuff that we talked about, some of the articles I mentioned and, uh, all that fun stuff there. And then uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, please punch that five-star button. Leave us a review. Tell us we're doing right or, you know, tell us we're doing wrong. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.